Back in here, hour number three on a Thursday, Nick Braden, Dimes, Marquise, simply known as Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Stick to sports coming up at 845. We'll touch base with our buddy Joe Rexroad from The Athletic coming up in just a matter of moments. He could be dealing with a barking dog in his garage or something to those effects. <laughs> was he in a hotel in like Valdosta, Georgia or something? He was. Last time we talked to him? I think that was when he was down in Jacksonville. Yeah. They're pretty close to each other and he was going to do the he, he was doing Jacksonville the, yeah. to Georgia thing. Yeah, that, that weekend went well for Tennessee fans. Tennessee, As do most football, Tennessee weekends. football weekends. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, so until we touch base with Rexford, we will get back into some of the stuff we started the show off with two hours ago at 6 o'clock this morning, and that is, I guess, pouring one out for our colleagues and our buddies here and all the listeners in this market that are Braves fans. Uh, yesterday went about as well as it could possibly go for the St. Louis Cardinals in a Game 5 where you drop a 10-spot bright and early, and we were discussing this to start the show. Poor Chase McCabe today. Poor Jared Stillman, Braves fans, and really Atlanta sports fans, the heartache continues yet again. Yeah, I just don't really feel that bad for Braves fans. I know that's very unprofessional of me. Um, I get that. Um, But I'm a Mets fan, and if I get to root against Jason Stillman, I'm going to do it every chance I can. But but think of the collective Atlanta sports fan. I do feel bad for the collective Atlanta sports fan where the Georgia Bulldogs lose in 2012 and... You know, Falcons in the in the Super Bowl and the Braves all those years, and they've lost the Thrashers and like I, and the SEC title I, game last year. I, I, I get all, yeah, no question. Tua coming in in the national championship game, like I, I get all of the heartbreak of, of Atlanta sports fans. Um, and my, it's just the Braves that don't bother me, especially if it's Stillman and Chase. I just, I'm okay with them being miserable today. Let's sorry, welcome that, in. I, listen, I'm I'm a bad person for that. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're terrible. I know. Shame on you, Joe Rexroad from the Athletic, Joe. Yesterday, I saw you put out a nice little tweet. Falcons down seven nothing. Still plenty of time. Your thoughts on that debacle in the NLDS? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty bad too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I actually have a buddy who uh, uh, t- DM me said, uh, "Yeah, I'm, you know, he's an Atlanta native. I'm sitting in the dark in my backyard in sweatpants, drinking rye whiskey. I'm like, all right, man, I'll let you go. Trey Young, Trey Young, get, get pumped." <laughs> you know? so, yeah, it's it's tough, uh, boy. Uh, but it, it's sort of when with the Braves. I mean, it really is kind of the DNA, right? I mean, how many times does this does this have to happen? I mean, I heard so many Braves fans predict this. At least I think they were prepared for it. Uh, your thoughts in one of the big stories that we've discussed for the first three and a half shows of this week has been Taylor Lewan and the way he's kind of handled social media. Uh, and now he's had comments about that and how he's got to be better. Uh, your your just biggest takeaway over the last couple of days of what you've seen from number seventy seven. Well, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's also uh, you know it's like so it's Sunday. He's the guy who says the best stuff, and that's often the case with Taylor Lewan after wins or losses. But you know, he says some you know some stuff about hey, I don't blame the Titans fans for. You know, for how they're feeling, we got to get going, and, and enough of this crap. You know, back and forth and all that. And then it's not just that he got into a Twitter beef, but he actually like picked the fight Monday. And I'm like, see, like right here, this is what you don't do. Um, but he can't help himself. It's not that surprising. So you know, then he says that, that he shouldn't have done it. But I mean, it's kind of who he was. And I know that those guys said stuff about him you know, after the game, but like, that's something you don't go seek out and waste your time with, you know? So nothing too, too surprising, but it's another, 
And I'm not saying, like, because he does that, this team goes 9-7 and seven every year. But it is one of those things, like, you know, if you want to break out of the rut of – of what's happening in the field, maybe break out of the rut of some of the stuff you do off the field. Joe, we had a conversation um, yesterday um, about, you know, the head coaches, Rabel and also Frank Wright. And it's sort of like, you know, when, when, yeah, when you're drafted first overall and then the person drafted right behind you, if both of you are quarterbacks, you always you will always be tied together for whatever reason. They will always compare one to two. Uh, we've seen that with pl- with plenty of dry um, drafts. Uh, do you, can you possibly see that with because they both were hired as as head, head coaches same year, same division, and now it seems like their teams are sort of. And I'm not saying that, uh, like you said, I'm not saying that the Titans are going to go nine and seven or seven and nine, but it seems like from what we've seen head of matchups and whatever, these two teams are sort of going in different directions. I think Frank Reich has his team moving positively toward something really good. And it seems like Mike has taken sort of a step back. Um, not to say again, not to say that they're going to finish better than Indianapolis, but at this point in time, Indy seems like they're better coach than the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, Especially from Rabel's perspective, you know, to your your point there, just because, you know, the Colts actually chose Frank Reich over him. He interviewed with them. They chose Frank Reich. So, you know, from his perspective, I'm sure there's a competitive thing there with with Frank Reich. And, yeah, look, it's – I mean, it's a one-game difference between these teams right now, and it's a 19-17 game that a lot of different things could have given the Titans a win in that game. But – but still, it does feel that way, especially after the Colts go winning Kansas City. And I think everyone's just been very impressed with Frank Reich. And I think Brabel had a lot of impressive things in his first year. But, yeah, I mean, this year there, there just have been some some decisions. Obviously, we've made a lot of these decisions. And I know sometimes it's easy. You know, we will second-guess things that don't work. I know that happens. But with some of these decisions, the second guessing happened was howling before we found out what the result of the play was. Because you're like, no, you know, don't don't put Santos out there. And what's obviously a terrible day for him for a 53 yarder, or of course a week earlier, do put Santos out there. What are you doing? You know, when you're at the 10 yard line, uh, you know. But I, I think maybe of all of them, you know, the the sort of weak attempt to draw the Colts offside in that game when they went head-to-head and then losing 30 seconds off the clock when you're behind with under four minutes to play. That might have been the weirdest one of all. So, yeah, I think it will always be there. And I, I don't know who could objectively look at these two situations and not think that, you know, Frank Reich is doing a better job right now. Tennessee hosts Mississippi State as an underdog at home. Um, how important, I mean, obviously it's huge for both coaches, second year guys, lots of unknowns for both of them. Just, just how important is the outcome of this game for Jeremy Pruitt and how we view the rest of the season? Is it important or have we learned all we need to learn? Like what, where, how how do you view the outcome of, of this game on Saturday? I think it's hugely important, Braden, because I don't think the numbers are going to be there at the end. But you win this game, and you can at least entertain the idea of a run against you know the other teams that are 
you know, you know, clustered with you in this league to still have a chance to get to six wins. Um, I mean, we know what's going to happen a week later, you know, at Alabama. We, we knew what was going to happen against Georgia, but I think this is hugely important. And also, you know, to build off, there is some excitement with Brian Maurer and the way he played, you know, in the first half against Georgia. So I still feel like the fan base is, is incredibly engaged considering what they've you know witnessed this year and i think if you lose this one then it's like okay i mean there's you know it's just it's just what is it three or is it four at the end you know i think you win this and whether it's realistic or not because you know they have to go to missouri and Kentucky. you know it's it probably won't add up but at least you can entertain it so uh, i think it's i think it's massive Rex, let me stay with college football for a second with you and switch over to Vanderbilt. We had head coach Derek Mason on the show yesterday, and he he, he seemed a little cranky, and I understand why. Uh, and I asked him, you know, you weren't competitive against Ole Miss in a game where you're supposed to be competitive. And, you know, between he and Jason Tarver, there's plenty of defensive minds with the program, and yet defensively they look pretty pretty deplorable right now. Do, do you think Derek Mason's feeling the pressure, and can you can you draw any conclusions from that? I mean, is this guy in jeopardy of maybe being on the hot seat? Well, look, I mean, I think, I think anytime you're a head coach and if things aren't going well and if things are not going the way they're supposed to be going, and you have some special players in your program who you know are going to be gone playing on Sundays next year, and this is sort of an opportunity to – you know, capitalize on having these guys. Yeah, I, I think I think he's got to be feeling it some. I mean, if if you if you were working for the, an AD who did not hire you, automatically right there things have changed. You know, and, and that's the case. And and we've seen that Malcolm Turner will take action. So, yeah, I would I would think so. But I mean, I, I think it's probably more than that. Just the urgency to get this team fixed and figure out what the heck's going wrong. Because, like you said, Nick. You know, the defense looks awful, and honestly, Vanderbilt's defense has not looked much different from awful since 2016, or maybe since the Kansas State game of 2017, which was, of course, you know, your next Bama game. Uh, And then, really, since then, I mean, it's been really bad defense, and it's a lot of games, it's just that they're just out-talented, but to your point, you know, there are some really good defensive coordinators on this staff in terms of past performance, and it's kind of shocking at times to see the assignments missed, the tackles missed, things like that. Um, so I, I think it's probably more just feeling like a lot of people do watching the team, like what in the heck is going on and what can be done to fix it? Joe Rex Road with us every Thursday from The Athletic. Don't forget, sign up and subscribe for all of his great journalism, a couple dollars a month. That's all it takes to get some good quality sports. Joe, good stuff. We appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. You got it. Joe Rex Road with us. No dog there. I like it. No dog, no garage. Yes, Joe. We're lacking dogs in this city in general. Where do you think he went? You think he just locked himself in the bathroom or something? Give him a rawhide bone. Uh, You think so? Tell him to pipe down. A mistake or something. Tell him to pipe down. Max, give me eight minutes here. I got to jump on one morning drive. (laughs) Hey, keep down back there. I'm going to blow my stack. (laughs) Exactly. I'm due for a good stack blow. Uh, You guys, by the way, did you guys get that sense yesterday too with, with Derek Mason? He a little, uh, uh, yes, I thought, uh, yeah, I did. Hundred percent. I don't know he, if I was alone on that. Well, anymore. even when he started, he, even his first words out of his yeah. mouth were just like, "Hey, hey, hey, boys, uh, ready to get it going here? Yeah, hey, let's go. Down. Let's get this over with." It, <laughs> it, 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 he's not having fun right now. Um, no. I think it's fair to say no coach is when they're losing. It's not. Yeah. It's not the way they're wired. And 
we, we always say this about coaches. They take the win. The winning is not nearly as fun as the losing is bad for, for most big time coaches in any sport, especially football, because it's such a, you only have so many games, but you know, this, this Vanderbilt team is, is teetering right now. Um, I don't believe he should be in any danger personally, because I don't think he's been given the resources to succeed. Uh, that's my personal take. It's been that way for a long time, but He's also been, you know, there's been conversations about his job security at the end of every year the last three years, and he sort of staved that off with big wins. He's going to probably have to do it again this year. Morning Drive, back after this on ESPN 102.5 The Game. If Riley can continue to master what we do, great, man. But if not, then we, there's, there's other options on the table because I think Deuce understands you mean what we do he's been in the system it's just that when you've looked at it and those guys have gone head to head okay man riley's done a better job so you know with that i mean this is the week where we're getting a chance to get you know uh you know a fair amount of snaps for both you know looking at you know exactly where we are riley you know is the starter deuce will probably play you know uh you know fairly early in this ball game and we'll and we'll take a look at exactly what we have Vandy head coach Derek Mason with us yesterday on Morning Drive. Welcome back in ESPN 102.5 The Game. Nick Braden, D. Mace, Marquise with you. And we'll continue on with a little bit of the Vandy conversation here because they welcome in UNLV this week. And it's not too often that Vanderbilt is a two-touchdown favorite. But this is one of those cases where they are, and they damn sure better play like it because I'd hate to pick UNLV for my silly underdogs today with the... Yeah, Willie Darren Chase. You're right about that. Um and I and I think the the story here is not necessarily that is UNLV and they are and they are they are a double digit favorite. It's what do they do at the quarterback position? He did put uh Wallace in um last week last week to give him an opportunity and he said it you know, frankly, the other day, he's going to play. The young guy's going to play. It's how and where do you put him? I think they are disappointed in Riley Neal um, because it's almost like a waste of talent, meaning you have three guys that will be drafted in the NFL uh, and three guys that I think will have good NFL careers. And you're waste, and they're basically being wasted almost. Uh, Kalijah Lipscomb, especially Pinkney. And then Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn's going to get his. I mean, it's it's just the the guy's a stud, um, and and he gets the ball. I mean, he's he's going to tote the rock a, a bunch of times, but the the one that baffles me is Pinkney, and not being able to get him the ball. Uh, either the quarterback's not reading it right, or when he does read it right, he can't get it to him wide open. You know, in the end zone versus. Um, who were they playing? Uh, Northern Illinois, yep. wide open in the back of the end zone. Northern Illinois, and he overthrows them, um, and he end up, I think, with one catch that game. See, like I'm almost at the point though with them. He's got 11 catches on the season. It, that's just crazy. Th- does it matter who plays quarterback when your defense is as bad as it is? Because we know they have an uphill battle does. to begin with. I think it still does who matter because your defense is bad, but who's ever at quarterback, at least you can score. I just don't think either. I just don't think teams. either quarterback's capable of pulling off the upset of a good team anyway. You might be right. I mean, like honestly, Derek Mason's been there long enough, and when you lose a guy like Kyle Shermer, who set you know school records and eclipsed some of the numbers Jay Cutler you know uh, established years ago, your options this year were Deuce Wallace 
and a, a grad, a senior grad transfer in, in Riley Neal, it's almost like they were unprepared for the departure of Shermer. Yeah, well, yes, no. I, today, it's hard to argue against that. But if you were to look at the roster mm-hmm. and say, "All right, you're going to lose Kyle Shermer, a guy who started a bunch of games." Oh, by the way, the other part of this equation we don't talk a lot about is Andy Ludwig leaving to go to Utah. Yeah. Utah now is a team that's you know a one loss team in the top fifteen nationally with a, with a good quarterback running a good offense and 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 so they lost a court a, long, a longer term coordinator as well, um, which is a part of this and and so the coordinator I think in, in Jerry Gadowski needs to be a part of this conversation as well. But if you if you had told me, listen, you're going to lose one of your more productive quarterbacks in school history and you're going to have a senior grad transfer who started 32 games in the MAC and a young, talented, up-and-coming sort of guy that you've recruited as your two options, I would have said, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good situation to be in. As it turns out, they're just not any good, uh, at least right now. Um, I don't know what Deuce Wallace could become. But it, it's just it, – it it's mind-boggling – that Jared Pinckney has 11 catches on the year. And and even I asked Derek Mason that yesterday. I said, how do you how do you balance force-feeding your weapons and knowing that the defense knows that you want to force-feed your weapons? Like, how do you go about doing that? And and largely, I was driving it at Jared Pinckney. Why does he have 11 catches? Well, And he started with, well, Key, Key's going to get his carries. Keyshawn's going to get his touches. And we know that. Kalijah Lipscomb has been more mm-hmm. productive lately. He's caught more passes lately. But Jared Pinckney has largely been irrelevant on this team this mm-hmm. year. And, and that's unacceptable. I don't care what you have to do. I don't care who's playing quarterback. I don't care who's calling plays. If you've got a weapon like that, you have to get him the football. I, be creative. Be stupid. I don't care. Get him the football in some way, shape, or form because he's too good not to be used. Mm-hmm. Vandy's 1-4. and four. They're favored this week over UNLV. The only other game that they'll be favored is the week before Tennessee. They'll host ETSU. They're going to be underdogs to Missouri, South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, and at Tennessee. And I think you mentioned yesterday on the show, Tennessee is already listed at close to a 10-point favorite over Vanderbilt, the final game of the season. One of the things that Derek Mason has had in his favor is his success against Tennessee. If this plays out where Vanderbilt right now is 1-4, if they beat UNLV and ETSU, but they lose to Tennessee and they finish with three wins this year and they lose in ugly fashion in Knoxville, and I don't think they will because Tennessee stinks too, but if they would... Is that enough for Malcolm Turner to say, okay, I'm making a change? Because this is not the guy that hired Derek Mason. No, and I know that's always the thing, right? I know that's reality. That and he it, got rid it, of Bryce Drew. Right, that if, he's, if, you're, if, you, if your boss didn't hire you, there's a chance you know, that, that, that it's not as safe in the coaching circles. We, we understand that. I, I, I still just fall on the side of if Malcolm Turner truly is working to like all these plans, right? They're going to re- there there's a stadium renovation coming. We're going to do some facility upgrades. We're going to commit more financially to football at Vanderbilt. I I I understand the desire to go clean slate with it, but that's not necessarily a fair shake with Derek Mason. So, I I I've always personally fell on the side of if you're Vanderbilt and you're not going to commit resources to help your football program, then you've got to hold your football program to a lower standard. You cannot hold them to a higher SEC level standard if you're not going to compete financially at an SEC level I don't think that's fair to the head coach and so I'm torn on this I get Mm -hmm. I get Malcolm Turner wanting to do it all his way and have his people in place and all I get all of that and it probably doesn't bode well for Derek Mason long term Mm -hmm. but in the short term it just feels it just doesn't feel right to do him like that a little bit well maybe do they do you do you believe they look at um, when you're an AD at a program like Vandy 
you kind of separate the sports because you look at football and basketball totally different. Basketball, only thing you need is one guy, and that can change the fortunes of your team moving forward. We thought that's what would have happened. Just think if um, Darius Garland would have been healthy the whole season. I think then Bryce Drew would have still been here because that team would have been much better. In football, it takes more than just one guy. And maybe, just maybe, like you said, Braden, they're not giving him the resource. He not, He's not getting the resources that he needs on the football end that is going to allow him to compete, you know, not even at a high level, but just compete on a level that that's sufficient enough. Oh, and, and I'm with you from the standpoint. I mean, look, just to give you an analogy, you can't expect to be a five-star restaurant if you're going to give your chef London broil instead of filet mignon. No, you're right. So you, you get what you put into it, and you get that's what you get out of it. But I like, a, I like a London broil reference, by the way. You like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, no shot against London broil. It's just not <laughs> filet mignon. I mean, that's the all reality. The London broil people are going to get at you on Twitter now. You, you give you give the these broil folk. you give chefs you know low level ingredients. That's what you're going to get served. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, you're you right. You swallowed That's your tongue in a row. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, you know, and I've thought about this, uh, you know, in, in you guys know how, you know, I like Derek Mason. I think he's a great guy. I like I think, him too. You know, and but I think eventually, you know, as I have with any other coach or player, you just call it how you see it. And, you know, would it be fair, you know, if at the end of the season – they he becomes one of those coaches on a hot seat. Um, probably not because of you know the resources that he doesn't have. But you know it's it's a bottom line business, and you know it's okay. And, and I know the James Franklin thing's yeah. an outlier. Like yeah, they're not going to win nine not, games. Yeah, I'm not going to even bring James Franklin into this because that was they caught lightning in a bottle when he got out right when he he got out right in time. He mm-hmm. knew that this thing was just temporary and I need to move on. He said he used this job as a segue to Penn State and it's worked out for him. Uh, but, I mean, you just you, you call it how you see it. It's unfortunate that, that with the talent that they have on offense uh, with the three guys that the season has started off the way it has with this team. You can't get one of your arguably – you know, one of the best tight ends in college football. You can't even find a way to get him the ball, you know, and that's inexcusable. And then your defense is is playing as if they're not even out there. Programming reminder tonight, Predators and the Capitals at Bridgestone Arena. Game four of the four-game homestand before they go on a little road trip. Predators and Washington puck drop at 7 o'clock, pregame at 6 o'clock here on 102.5 The Game. One hour from now, we'll talk to our buddy Hal Gill, Preds radio analyst. We'll come back and actually get to the quarterback here in Nashville. It's been a while since we've discussed Marcus Mariota. Marcus is in a category he probably doesn't want to be in, but it's not his fault at all. Back after this on Morning Drive. 8.33, welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Stick to sports coming up in just about 12 minutes. Hopefully, number eight can start getting a little bit of help. I saw this yesterday, and this is not good company to be in. And I actually feel a little bit bad for Marcus because it's not his fault this year. So, um, according to ESPN.com stats and information... Quarterbacks that are producing the least amount of negative plays at the lowest rates, which would be interceptions, fumbles, and sacks. The top five for the lowest rates are Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Jacoby Brissett, and Mason Rudolph. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Those, uh, the five guys with the highest rates are Luke Falk, 
Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, Kyle Allen, Marcus Mariota. That's tough to be on that list if you're Marcus, considering <laughs> it's all because of sacks. Well, I was going to say, of the three things that go into that, he hasn't done any of the other two. Yeah, right? no fumbles, no, no picks. No fumbles and no – now he's fumbled the ball once, but yeah. he recovered it. No fumbles, no interceptions, which means two of the three components of that equation, yeah. he does none of that. So somebody's got to help him either – The offensive line – listen, the offensive line is atrocious right now. And until Taylor Lewan is back fully, fully, full speed, Roger Saffold figures out what the hell is going on on pass protection – and Nate Davis develops a lot of big ifs there. This this offensive line's not going to get any better. Like it, like so those three things could happen. And if they do, you know, this team's going to be better. We've seen what what Marcus can do when he's got time to throw. Against Atlanta, he sat back there and picked him apart. Against Cleveland, he picked him apart and he didn't even have a lot of time against Cleveland. When he's got time to throw, he's been good. And I think John Glennon wrote about this on the Athletic yesterday. So, when he has time, he he's been very good. Um I I so, a couple of those sacks are on him, there's no question, but the offensive line in large part right now is is the concern with this offense. There's been offensive line problems. There there has been coverage sacks. Um, there have been times Marcus has held on to the ball. So it's a combination of everything. Uh, I think Marcus is super, super cautious with the football. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to blame him for that. You know, um, but there are times where guys are open and he miss them. But then there are times that he has, you know, opportunities in in the pocket and guys are not getting open. Um, So it it, it all works hand in hand and they just got to do a better job. Everybody. Offensive line first starting. They need to do a better job at pass blocking. And then a quarterback needs to do a better job that if he does have time to throw it, deliver the ball accurately and then the receivers they have to get open you everything you know you gotta you gotta you gotta show that you can get open against tight coverage you know because for the most part it's been you know play action off coverage and you guys have been running scot-free but you haven't shown consistently that you can get away from guys when the coverage is tight but there's also this this double-edged sword if we bring in Arthur Smith to the equation, and I get mm-hmm. it, when you're an offensive coordinator and your offensive line is atrocious, there's only so many things you can draw up and design. But at some point, Arthur Smith has to sit here and say, okay, my left guard is a major liability. My left tackle was out for four weeks. He's not really in game shape the way he's typically used to being mid-October. I mean, I've got to kind of devise some things and work around it, right? My right guard is making his second career NFL start. This coming up this weekend against Denver. I mean, every every team has issues, so the coach it's up to the coaching staff to come up with some ways to work around that. And and it's worked occasionally with the screen game and the and the quick play action pass game. It's worked. um, I I would almost go to tempo this week. I I, and I wonder, like the one thing about Arthur Smith, and and again, it's hard to again, it's hard to pick on play calling. I think picking on play calling is very difficult to do unless you're in the meeting rooms throughout the course of the week, and and you know the coaching staff looks at you and says, "All right, when we see this look, we want to go this direction or do this." I think unless you're in that room, you know, having those conversations, it's it's hard to criticize play calling. But the offense as a whole doesn't feel particularly modern to me. Part of the reason they hired Matt Lafleur was, oh, we got to modernize the offense, right? We got to modernize the, the the passing approach, and and nobody really knows what that looks like. It's sort of a quick passing game 
with a lot of varying formations, the RPO action, all that stuff. And this feels a lot like, you know, two tight ends, two receivers, play action pass, long developing post routes and screen plays. It feels a little late but, 1990s. But you might, you might need to go two tight ends and go max protection out which, of necessity. Which is what they did against Cleveland. And, and again, even though he got pressure, it worked eventually. Um, the big play to Derrick Henry on the screen pass. It, what, what I don't like, and again, I'm not 100% sure on this yet, so I want, I'm, I want to be careful about this. I want to see it play out for more than just five games. I, I don't see a whole lot. Like It feels like Arthur Smith goes into a game with a game plan and doesn't seem to change it all that much. And it doesn't really seem to change from week to week all that much. Um, now, in part, because their problem has been the same every week. It's the offensive line. So he's sort of scheming around that, like you said, Nick, almost every single week. I'd like to see a few more wrinkles. I'm not talking about jet sweeps or, or you know, I'd like to see a few more things from him that show his ability to evolve and be creative as they continue to face. And they put more stuff on tape. The more they put on tape, the more you have to change your looks to disguise what you're doing and, and all that stuff. And so I... I do think there's a lot of of blame that goes to the to the coaching staff on this that needs to be better on, you know, scheme, disguise, um, game plan, you know, whatever you want to call it. Would it be beneficial for them to go up tempo right out of the gate? And I'm not oh, saying for boy. the whole game because when you do that for the whole game, if you have a quick three and out after your defense just mm-hmm. gave up a seven right. seven minute drive, they're back on the field, they're gassed again. But in bits and pieces, going tempo, um, I, you got to be judicious on how you do that because, like you just said, if your defense has been on the field for a long time, you then don't want to go up tempo, um, and you know put your team or your defense in a position where they might have to go back on the field after three plays or six plays. Um, I think he tried it early on. I know they tried it in the preseason. I think the first preseason game, they went a little bit up tempo. Um, I think you just got to know your team. And I don't know if going up tempo, um, I guess, I don't know if going up tempo benefits the Tennessee Titans. I don't know if it does. Um, Maybe it it all depends on you know situation team they're going against whether they can go up tempo or not, um, you know because eventually, you know the defense, you know the defense it does wear on the defense meaning our defense and if they're tired going up tempo is not benefiting anyone. If you're gonna do the up tempo thing, you better score. You better keep it. You better get at least three or four first downs. If you're talking about a long field, if you're talking about a short field and you want to go up tempo, you better get some points out of it. Because if you go up tempo and don't get no points, defense gets upset because they're like, man, you're putting this back on the field. Run the ball. Do something. Uh, I'll tell you the other thing that I, I think they need to do this week. And when you go against a guy like Von Miller, who's a game wrecker. Now, granted, the Broncos collectively as a defense only have five sacks, which is almost dead last in the NFL. But then again, you're playing the Titans offensive line. So you could look like world beaters in the orange crush all of a sudden this week. I run right at Von Miller. Like, I've always felt like this. Yeah, I agree. You let me know if you agree. When you have a game-changing pass rusher, how do you take him out of the game as the opposing offense? Mm-hmm. You run right at him. I mean, Jadavian Clowney. I'd run right at yeah. Jadavian Clowney. There's certain guys that, that you can't, right? You know, like the Haloti Nadas of the world that are game-changers that you can't run at because they're so great at the run, too. J.J. Watt is probably in that category. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a handful of guys that are just so great at what they do. 
But when you're one of those speed rushers, those edge dynamic guys, that's how, how big is Von Miller? Six three, two fifty. He's undersized. You know, yeah. he, he's not one of these six six three hundred pounders that can do both. And and that's the kind of guy you you go right after with Derrick Henry. And you know, I, again, I, I I agree. I mean, without it, normally you'd be very concerned with Bradley Chubb on the other side because then you're concerned with you know. If you go at one, the other one's going to get you. If you go at the other one, then the first guy's going to get you. With Bradley Chubb out of this, you can focus in a little bit more on Von Miller. All right, coming up top of the hour, we'll get the Denver perspective. We'll go behind enemy lines with Benjamin Albright, who covers the Broncos. But up next, another edition of Stick to Sports here on Morning Drive. Uh, let's go. (laughs) He just did some gyrate. He just did some gyrations in the studio that I've never seen him do before. <laughs> that was good stuff. That was impressive. It was Bruno Mars, man. That's one concert that I have to go to. I have to check out Bruno Mars before I die. Yeah. Bruno Mars is awesome. All right. Let's uh, stick to sports. The world is a crazy place. Crazy sounding pretty good right now. Let's lighten the mood. After all that seriousness, <laughs> you're just going to crumple it up and throw it in the trash. Basically. Man. And stick to sports. Now on Morning Drive. All right, D-Mace, Stick to Sports is brought to you by... The good folks that decorated Dan Interior. Stick with the pros that decorate in Dan. When you're ready to decorate your home, office, or outdoor spaces, request a complimentary appointment at decoratedan.com. Would you rather go to a Bruno Mars concert <laughs> or spend a week on the planet Mars? I would rather spend a week on the planet Mars. No. <laughs> I like Bruno Mars. No, he's good. Number one. All right, so obviously I didn't get enough sleep last night because I had to watch the Dodgers choke it up again once again in the playoffs. Mm, But one thing I don't want to wake up to is a man in my kitchen and another instance of someone breaking into a house. What is wrong with these people? Butt naked, again, in Nick's neck of the woods of Pennsylvania, drinking milk in the kitchen and singing, which woke up a man that grabbed his pistol and then investigated and saw a man sitting on his kitchen floor drinking milk and singing. Well, I wonder what he was singing. Now, does it say, was it 2% milk, skim milk, whole milk? Do we it have, do, we have it details? It doesn't say. It's not been was confirmed. It milk? It hasn't been confirmed why, what why? kind of milk it was. These the, are the things that coconut interest, milk. interest Nick. Almond milk? Yeah. How about oat milk? Oat have you milk, heard of yeah. oat milk? Who, I don't know who drinks. Who drinks? Let's, let's have some oat milk. People in Europe, and I think. Almond milk's pretty good. Yeah, almond milk's great. Good. I love oat, it. Oat milk is a European thing, I think. I I'm not a fan of almond milk. I coffee uh, over the weekend. Almond milk's good, yeah. Well, I like well, it in a latte. Let's go around the room. What is your preferred milk? I am either a 2% or 1% guy. I mean, my my progression as a milk drinker over time has evolved dramatically um, because my parents gave me like lactate as a kid, mm-hmm. which is awful. It's not even like real milk. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's like lactose intolerant. But I really wasn't that. They just thought I was crazy when I drank milk, which probably was true. So I ended up. So I went. I've worked my way from lactate to skim, from skim into one percent, from one percent into two percent, and with the kids, you buy whole milk for the kids. And now I just kind of I just don't drink giant glasses of milk like I used to. It's just I nice. do not. So I'm a whole. We're an organic whole milk at all. People, but I don't I drink, drink all. It's just almond milk. Really. 
Yeah, I don't consume like we had an almond yeah. milk phase. It's just too expensive for kids. I don't do the two percent. Skim's too thin skin. for me, and whole milk. I just I I I, I almost gag. But do you whole drink milk? Whole, is but you, just so ugh. do you drink whole glasses of it? Uh, like, on occasion, I'll have like if I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I'll have a glass of milk. What are you like? Uh, what are you five years old? Yeah. What are you two? At times, hey, hey, well, you've, hey, you've heard me you on this love show. Peanut butter <laughs> jelly sandwiches. Oh, I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Hell yeah! It's probably almond butter with some organic raspberry jelly. It is almond butter on some whole wheat honey wheat bread. And a glass of almond milk. Uh, I don't drink. No, I can't drink milk. No, e- every now and then. I drink water. Seven thirty, eight o'clock on a on a Tuesday yeah. night. Get the hankering for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's nothing like a good peanut Dude, butter oh, and jelly peanut sandwich. Peanut butter and jelly Almond butter and jelly sandwich. But uh, so I tried the almond. I tried to trick my kid into. Uh-huh. Almond, I told you this right before. Uh-huh. I tried to trick the three year old into the almond butter. So I just made her a bunch of almond butter sandwiches. Nah, and she ain't going. For she it. would not. She'd take mm-hmm. the bread apart and eat the jelly half, <laughs> and she'd be like, "I don't want this half." I'm uh-uh. like, Damn, I don't man. blame her if I was a little kid. She's already addicted to sugar, man. It's ridiculous. Man, that's our world. Hollywood, your choice of milk is what? I go whole milk. I drink whole. I, I go whole milk, man. I, I'm, but I'm, it, with, but, I'm with Hollywood now. But it's, also, it's also better for you now. Yeah, but if I'm doing coffee, it's usually the fifty-fifty instead of the two percent. So I usually go the fifty-fifty, not two percent. Because what we did in the '90s is we took all the fat out of everything and we put all the sugar in. So now we're all kind of swinging back towards the fat-free stuff is bad. Don't do the fat-free stuff because it's just been replaced with sugar. You know, we are the go only the, animals that drink somebody else's that's, milk. That is a weird thing. Yeah, you gotta but, do what you gotta do. We're the only yeah. species that yeah. drinks another species. Exactly. Ba- back in the day when you would drink chocolate milk, were you oh, syrup delicious. or were you powder? Neither. What What is it that comes already pre- I, mean, I was already syrup. A- I was syrup because mm-hmm. the powder just took – because you got to sit there and stir it for a minute. Like when the- we did have it, it was powder. See, and I thought the syrup took too long to stir, but I would rather have the chocolate syrup than the powder. Uh, yeah, and plus you can also drink the syrup like, when you're not. <laughs> you had to really stir, though, the syrup to get the syrup all... Well, I mean, exactly. the powder, you got to do that, too. The powder, you got to get all the way at the bottom of the cup just to stir the bottom of the powder. And with the syrup, you can just drink it out of... If, well, you, yeah. if you're one different. of those kids like me, uh, who just drink it straight out. Like, you don't know? lie. Don't, 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 don't lie. We've all taken the powder pack and tipped it up a little bit, too. I did that, too. Did I'm not going to lie. Did don't you lie think chocolate that. milk was made from... Chocolate cows, brown cows. I did. Brown I sure cows. did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many chocolate hey, cows you had to kill for this milk. I blame, I blame the parents on that one. That feels yeah. like a joke. Like I'm going to play a joke on my kid and be like, "No, chocolate milk's from brown cows. Exactly. That's why you never see any brown cows anywhere. <laughs> they all hide them." <laughs> oh, Number man. two. All right. So parents sue the creators of Fortnite. Claims the game is addictive as cocaine. Now, the makers of the video game Fortnite is being sued by two parents in Canada claiming that this is addictive like cocaine, and it's basically the most addict. They they are accusing them of making the most addictive game possible, which, I mean, I think that's what every video game does. And the mother says it can be a challenge to get her daughter to stop playing. There's like a switch goes off if she's not allowed to do something, and she's completely she's a completely different person when she's not allowed to play Fortnite. So... Parents suing Fortnite because it's addictive like cocaine. Well, that's your fault as a parent. Then you should monitor um, how many hours or minutes your kids are playing games. And if you monitor it early on, then they're not going to have. Th- that's what these video games are made for. I mean, hell, we were addicted to playing Madden. You know, I can remember in college just sitting there playing it. As soon as I got a class of practice, boom, go play yeah, Madden. So I, I, I agree because I was the same way. But. The, the science on the human brain and how it reacts like to fa- like mm-hmm. the way Facebook and Instagram will hold back likes so that you continually check their product 
is a is a is now a scientific study of the human brain and how endorphins are released. Like we didn't have that back in the eighties and nineties when we first had video games, you know. And I and I'd sit down and play, you know, whatever EA Sports College football for like thirteen years and try to break Bud Wilkinson's record for forty seven straight games in a season. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I was addicted to all that nonsense. You know what I mean? Like. I was gonna break Goodness, Joe Paterno's win record. I, I was gonna break Joe Paterno's win record. Damn it! I was Straight gonna get. I was gonna way. do that. But we didn't have the the in depth knowledge and study of what it does to the human brain. Now, there's actually evidence, and this is what's really interesting. There's tons of evidence that say that crime actually goes down when a new video game comes out. So there's no connection to like gun violence in video games at all. There's no scientific data to back that up at all. There is scientific data that backs up the endorphins that are released in your brain. When you get it, when you get like a like on Facebook, or you you know you get a kill on Fortnite or whatever, there's all kinds of science now behind it, and that's how they're maximizing these video games to keep kids tied into them, right? Yeah, which was so want. crazy because like growing up, San Andreas was popular. San Andreas Grand Theft Auto, oh, I loved it, yeah. and everybody was trying to get that game banned because it was called. You know, people were going out there trying right. to you know do violence and all the stuff that they see in the game. I'm like, nah, I just want to you know, no, the, sell it, drugs on the game and it, and, and get five stars no, and do crazy stuff. It's, like, it's fascinating. The new studies will tell you that crime actually goes down when a new video game comes out because people stay at home and play video games. It's really fascinating. Like it's people think, oh, everyone's all this bad stuff's happening because of video games. It's actually the opposite. You have a lot of time on your hands, don't you? No, I don't. How do you know this? I consume lots of you stuff. You do consume a lot. I consume everything <laughs> at ridiculous rates. It's bad. Next number three. All right, so parents in the room, are you going? Uh, Derek, your your kids a little older, but mm-hmm. your kids are younger. Yeah, you're the only one back there that's not, not not a parent. Yeah, oh, thank God. At um, least that you know. Of. Yeah, that's why I got sleep last night outside of you know the Dodgers. What losing. are the odds of a little Hollywood's running around that you don't know about right now? Uh. <laughs> about a good 70 percent oh my god i'm joking i'm joking no 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 it's no there's you're waiting for marriage yeah of course i am (laughs) i'm a christian man he's a tim tebow (laughs) but so are are you guys gonna allow your kids to get allowance they already Uh, do i would really do you make them work for it though oh yeah yeah how much do they get a dollar a week Wow, because there's a new survey that shows children are racking up an average of $30 a week in allowance, enough that if you save up for a year, it's $1,500. That's allowance, $30 now. I was getting 10 when I was growing up. Mike, I think we changed it. My son, he's 17 now. So allowance is gas money, um, stuff that he wants to buy. He gets, oh, man, how much? I think it's like. $50 $50 a week, somewhere around there. Um, and then my daughter, she I mean, she's in college. She, We put money in her account, but it's not called allowance. But my son gets allowance, $50 a week. I think it's up to $50 a week. It might be more than that. But a lot of his stuff is used, like, for gas or, you know, him buying something, and he uses it. But, he, you know, he's he, he works and, you know. He does stuff around the house I, I, and all this other stuff. I got a job at, at the Cool Springs Mall when I was like 15, and my mom had to drive me. So I've basically had a job since I was like 15. Um, but I had an allowance growing up as a kid, but I had to do chores to get it. I had mm-hmm. to work to get it. Uh, do your kids at five understand the concept of, of money? Oh, yeah. Like they understand that you uh-huh. need money to go buy things and uh-huh. that you can't. So my, th- my the three-year-old is just starting to understand. She'll, she'll look at us and be like, why is there no more Nogurt, Dad? And I'm like, well, there's no more Nogurt because we're out of it and we've got to go to the store and buy it. And she's like, 
that now she gets it like you have to go get it from somewhere else. I don't think she fully has grasped that you need to exchange something. But we're trying to teach her like, no, 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 you have to work to get money. And then you have money so that you can spend it on things. And then you can enjoy life. Oh, no. When my daughters were about three and a half, they would just flat out say, need dollars. <laughs> need dollars. Daddy, mommy, need, need dollars. dollars. Give me need them dollars. dollars. Give me them need dollars. dollars. <laughs> what did they need dollars for? Yeah, I, they, I don't know, they but they needed dollars. But they knew. <laughs> are they running a racket on the playground? Exactly. They are. They're running a Ponzi like, scheme I don't know about. Dad, you can, I, d- dude, my guy will not front me the Sour Patch Kids, okay? I've got to pay for the Sour Patch Kids up front. And then I've got to distribute the yellow dollars, ones. So I need dollars. I need them dollars. What did you guys yeah. spend your allowances on when you grew up? I never had an allowance as a kid. Oh. I didn't either. I didn't have an allowance no? as a kid either. Yeah, only just, when I did chores. Actually. I asked my dad. I was like, Dad, why don't I get an allowance like Tom and Barry? He goes, because I get you anything you want already. Well, there you go. I'm going, oh, all right. Well, when, you, when, you used to, when you used to ask for things, did your mom, like, I'll be like, Mom, can I get some McDonald's? Like, you got McDonald's money? I'm like, yeah, if you give me some allowance, I would have McDonald's money. Like, I don't know why. Yeah, like, I, yeah I think I was, I had to do something. Like, if it was like, hey, all right, we'll give you 20 bucks, but I need you to mulch the entire yard. I'd be like, okay. And then I'd spend six hours outside mulching the yard, and then I'd get my $20 or whatever when I was 10 mm-hmm. years old or 12 years old. I don't know. I had to work Man, for I would have loved to get $20 a week when I was... Yeah, back in the 40s, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that go a long way, right? You know, so I, you didn't get I'm anything for doing chores around the house, or you just... Hell no, nah, we didn't get anything. Yeah. But you yeah. also had, you what, seven, place, seven you brothers and sisters? You got live, you got a hot meal. Yeah, right. I'm with you. <laughs> you had what? You got clothes on your back. You were one of seven? Yeah, six? one of seven. Seven. Yeah, that's so, a lot. Uh, that's so a lot, lot of allowance to distribute. It's a lot of, exactly. <laughs> that's a lot of allowance. <laughs> now we got money here. You know, you, your yeah. parents give you money if if they feel you need it. Pork yeah. and Bean Jones have an yeah. allowance. I don't know. I'm trying. To, he might. No, he had a sister. He had a sister. So <laughs> was was, 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 uh, <laughs> was Mr. Was Mr. Bruno? Was he pro or anti allowance? He strikes me as a, as a, chore, a chore guy. Bruno, Bruno, yeah, was a chore. Like if you did stuff for Mr. Bruno, like he would give you, he, he would pay. You. Yeah, he'll hook you up if you did some like pick up some stuff around the yard. And just, he, he strikes me as a man a of integrity. He strikes yeah. me as a man of integrity. He'd give you a couple of dollars, Mr. Bruno. I'd love to sit down, with Mr. Bruno, and be like, "What was D like when he was?" Kid? Mr. Bruno, I can remember Mr. Bruno having that tiger's hat and jacket. Also, Mr. Bruno, can you teach me how not to kill plants, please? <laughs> yes, because <laughs> my wife can. can His all yard she does was is immaculate. Plants. I want an immaculate yard. (laughs) All right, coming up next, we will go behind enemy lines, get the Denver Broncos perspective for Sunday's matchup against the Titans. Uh, Benjamin Albright will join us after this on Morning Drive.